All right, good morning. Welcome to Emmett Audio. Buckle up, this is gonna be a long, in-depth one. This is a request. Woo, there's a truck coming towards me with lots of hay bales. This is a request from Felix Lane, uh, a spoon carver in the UK who is 16, turning 17 soon, who asked if I would um, talk specifically about exercises you can do to strengthen your hands and stretches, etc. Um, because he's been carving for four and a half years now and his, he's encountering some hand problems and, and wanting to make sure that he's able to carve healthily for many years to come. So, as many of you know, I have lots of feelings about this and I myself have struggled with hand health for most of my adult life. Um, I got my first injury uh, to my hands when I was 22. I got an impinged nerve in my neck from an accident that I didn't even notice at the time. I just bumped my chin on a, on a big chunk of steel that I was hauling out of the water. And uh, I slipped and stumbled and sort of cracked my chin against this big chunk of steel. And that wouldn't have been a problem by itself. But then I was uh, working on a schooner out of uh, the coast of Maine and was flaking anchor chain <coughs> on the deck so it would run freely out the, out the hawse um, when, we, when we dropped our anchor. And I was doing that multiple times a day, and that particular repetitive motion was very bad for me. And uh, the impingement, combined with that particular sort of cranked-over movement, um, was just. Uh, hold on, no parking account right of way. Can I get by here? Kind of unclear. I'm gonna say yes. Um, so that particular motion combined with um, the impingement was uh, the catalyst for me use, losing the use of my left hand for a brief period of time. And, uh, and ever since then, all of my life choices in terms of work have involved repetitive use, which have had me flirting with carpal tunnel tendonitis, whatever you want to call it, repetitive use um, strain with my hands. Uh, certainly farming did it when I was a zipline tour guide and clipping and unclipping thousands of carabiners every day, that did it. Um, carving's done it. Uh, tying wreaths and using the clippers to cut, cut greens at the farm does it. Um, so honestly, the thing that has helped most has been starting to treat myself like an athlete, which I started to do three years ago. <clears throat> And uh, because basically I was at the same place that Felix was at and thinking, you know, gosh, this is not like, you know, I'm going to be 40 soon. This is not working out. I'm not happy with my overall health. I'm not happy with my hand health specifically. I started to see a number of my peers start to sort of succumb to arthritis, carpal tunnel, tendonitis, and <clears throat> none of them were... It was crippling them like they were you know essentially trying to push through it and that did not seem to be working and um, and so <clears throat> so hold on I gotta park and then get the dogs away from the tree crew stand by <clears throat> Come on, dogs. Let's go. Come on.
Good girl. Come on, Maisie. Let's go. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, about three years ago, maybe four years ago, three years, I think it was three years ago, I decided, you know what, I need to <clears throat> start doing everything I can do to improve my overall health so that I can be a professional spoon carver for as long as possible into my 70s, 80s without without, you know, I didn't want to sort of have the inevitable be that I had arthritis in my hands and a ton of pain and unable to sleep at night because my hands were going, right? It's like, you can say to yourself, well, that's just the price I have to pay, but that's dumb. Um, and so, uh, so since then, I've made a ton of progress. But here is what I have found, is that it's not about strengthening your hands it's about strengthening your whole body. And it's not about stretching, it's about reducing inflammation in your whole body. And there are many angles at which to uh, achieve uh, this result. And I would recommend Felix and anyone else that you don't do, that you're not looking for one of them, you're looking to incorporate all of them into your life. So. I would say that, uh, let's see, they probably fall into three major camps, would be uh, diet, recovery, and exercise. And let's take those one at a time. Before I start that, I, I will say that when you are struggling with an acute uh, case of hand strain, the, the number one thing you got to do is back off. So when you, for me, the canary in the coal mine is if I'm waking up with numb hands, which I have been the last couple of days, I've been pushing too hard at the farm. This happens every year. I need to ramp up the, <coughs> I need to ramp up, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of phlegm moving through today. I need to ramp up the amount of recovery that I'm doing. And, and I also need to back off the actual work that I'm doing that is straining my hands. Now, I found you don't want to back off to zero because to some extent you end up with, with hand strain, or like a tightening of the muscles that comes when you stop completely. This used to be a real problem with me. It's less so now, I think because of the different cross training that I'm doing. But when you go from carving every day to not carving at all, about two days in, your hands start to really tighten up and it can be very painful. And so, you know, you want to back off, but not stop completely. I think the most helpful thing is to do a little bit every day just to keep the muscles in use and limber and lengthened uh, so that you don't exacerbate the problem. All right, what did I say? I said diet, recovery, exercise. Let's take it in that order. So I don't know how you eat, Felix. I don't know how you're able to eat. Obviously, you're still living at home. Um, I have found that 
a number of things have helped tremendously and I would recommend doing all of them. First of all would be uh, reducing the amount of refined carbohydrates, that's sugars, starches. I don't think you're trying to go keto or carnivore or anything like that, but just, you know, cut out the crap. We all know what it is. It comes in a box, it comes in a bag. Stop putting sugar in your coffee, right? Put in more milk instead. Uh, reducing the amount of sugar and carbohydrates are sugar in your diet will dramatically reduce the amount of inflammation that you have. Um, so that would be the first place to start would be clean up your diet. Um, you're obviously going to need to replace those calories with something more nutrient dense. And I would recommend, depending on what your parents are willing to spring for, I would say probably eggs they would definitely go for, you know, like ramp up to three or four eggs a day. Um, if you're not eating that already, um, I would start eating more beef. Um, obviously steak is expensive and so probably what you'll be able to get them to spring for would be a bunch of ground beef and start having your breakfast be some ground beef and some eggs. You know, scramble up the ground beef and then fry up some eggs to go with it and maybe have a slice of toast. Right? But like, <clears throat> uh, or better yet, some fruit, you know? But like the goal is not to go completely carbohydrate free, but um, there's a lot of nutrients in beef and eggs and good dairy, good yogurt and milk uh, that you're just not going to get other places. And you are young enough that you're probably not experiencing mm, nutrient deficit from that. Um, but you're right on the edge of being the age when you might be, depending on what your diet has been like. Um, and certainly, um, I think increasing the quantities of good fats and oils in your diet good quality olive oil stop using canola oil or any seed oils um, use good quality olive oil use butter if you can get your hands on tallow or duck fat uh, use that um, you know you want to give your body the building blocks to um, to repair itself if you don't give your body the building blocks to repair itself, it's not gonna not gonna happen. Um, you can start making yourself um, stock. Uh, I don't know if you have if you ever uh, roast a chicken or roast chicken wings. We do. We have chicken wings at least once a week, and we always take the the bones and we toss them in a pot of water with, say, an onion and what the heck is down there. Interesting. Um, say an, you know, an onion and a carrot and stick a celery and you just boil it for a while, add some salt, boil it for a while. And then you've got all this fantastic collagen, um, that's uh, in the knuckles of the bones and, um, and, and marrow from the bones themselves that then comes out. <clears throat> okay, Willa, come on. And come on, Willa, let's go. And that's incredibly good for your joints also, right? So your diet is your number one way of changing the state of your body. More important than exercise, more important than recovery. Um, because if you don't give your body the building blocks to repair itself, it will struggle to repair itself. And a lot, I'm coming more and more convinced that a lot of 
diseases or symptoms that we have are symptoms of deficiencies in our nutrition. Um, so, uh, eggs, ground beef, bone broth, right? And it's just as simple, it's like, you basically just, um, you're basically just boiling the stock for 45 minutes, an hour. If you get to a brisk boil in a pot, you could do it low and slow in a crock pot as well. That's what we do, but it really doesn't matter. Toss in a knob of ginger and a couple whole cloves of garlic, and you've got an awesome Asian-style stock. And then you just drink that, you know, warm it up, make sure it's got plenty of salt in it so that it actually tastes good. If it doesn't have salt, it's going to taste like crap. And then, uh, and then just drink, you know, a pint of it a day. Keep a jar in the fridge. And that'll do wonders for you as well. Um, good quality yogurt. Um, preferably something that has minimal sugar in it, right? Any of these single package servings. I used to love Chobani yogurts. And they have so much sugar in them. So now I'm, I've weaned myself off of that. And I have yogurt from the same farm that we get the raw milk from. And I used to do uh, vanilla, which we know is sweetened with maple syrup, which is fine. I think maple syrup and honey are totally fine for us. Uh, but I'm now weaning myself down to plain yogurt with that. And I'll uh, stir in some jam if I really feel like I need something or some maple syrup. Um, uh, and then if you, I don't know what the laws are um, in, uh, I don't know what the laws are in the UK, but raw milk, I think, is really a superfood. Um, my father-in-law actually wrote a book about the milk industry and sort of how we ended up in a world where raw milk is demonized and made illegal in many ways um, and how that has led to the lactose intolerance and other problems that we have. Um, but if you can get your hands on raw milk, even if it means driving to a farm, you know, I drive half an hour one way to a farm once a week. So I'm spending an hour in the car each week to get raw milk into my body and the body of my families. <clears throat> I think it's that important. Um, now, you'll notice that uh, I haven't mentioned fruits and vegetables. I think fruits and vegetables are great. I think you should have them. I think it's about biodiversity for your gut flora and fauna. To some extent, I think it's about roughage. Um, I am a big believer that the quality of nutrition in the fruits and vegetables that you get depends dramatically on the soil in which they were grown. I mean, the same is true for beef and eggs, so you should always buy the best quality of those things that you can afford. But you, Pound for pound, you're going to get way more nutrition that your body needs to fight inflation, for inflammation, inflation, inflammation from beef and eggs than you will from carrots and kale. Um, so, you know, I used to be a vegetable farmer. I know that you grow a carrot in one soil and you grow a carrot in a different soil, one that has been impoverished of nutrients and one that has been replenished with nutrients. You're going to get two different carrots in terms of what they can do for your body. They will even have a different amount of protein. And yes, there is carrot, there is protein in vegetables. There will be a dramatic difference in the amount of protein. Um, uh, 
from one vegetable to another. So, um, okay, so that's, that's diet. Um, <clears throat> last thing I'll say about diet is uh, make sure that you are getting enough salt in your diet. Um, particularly if you, um, particularly during the summer months when you're sweating more, find it really helpful to have uh, an electrolyte uh, packet once a day just to make sure that I'm not missing uh, any of the different salts that my body needs, the different mineralized salts that my body needs to perform all these functions. Sometimes that can be the sort of missing link that makes everything else fall apart. So that's diet. Now let's talk recovery. So recovery can be stretching. And I do recommend doing the pectoral stretch. I find the most helpful because, you know, we think of your hands as being what gets tight, but actually it's, uh, in my experience, it's more often your pectorals get overly tightened from carving. Uh, every time you do a pull cut, you're contracting your pectoral muscle. Um, well, on both sides, but predominantly on your dominant side. And, uh, and so that can exacerbate over time and you can end up with like a tight pectoral and then a tight bicep all the way down to a tight wrist. And so the best thing to do is place your hand against the door frame and then lean forward with your arm straight <clears throat> so you can feel the stretch all the way into your pecs. If you have a, a hallway where you can put a hand on either side of an entrance to a hallway and then lean into the hallway to do both sides at once, so much the better. So stretching is is good but um it's uh it's not the it's not the only thing that i would do for recovery um it's very important for recovery um for me has been walking the dogs twice a day so just moving my body in a in a fluid way and i don't walk them for terribly long it's like 20 to 30 minutes twice a day um, but getting uh, getting your body moving in a walk um, being outside in the fresh air getting that early morning sun your circadian rhythm um, so walking when I don't do it I definitely feel it um, it helps sort of rebalance everything and limber everything up <clears throat> What else do I do for recovery? This time of year, I tend to do a lot of uh, lying on the floor and kind of rolling around on the floor um, in front of the wood stove in the evening. And the, the heat from the wood stove feels really good. And it feels like it's kind of getting into my body and kind of baking things in this really delicious way. It feels very healthy. And, um, hey, Willa. Wait up for me. I'm going first. Good girl. Um, and, and I think floor time in general is just really good. You know, part of what happens to our bodies when we're carving a lot is, is unless you deliberately fight against this, you're going to spend a lot of time sitting. Um, and you might spend a bunch of time hunched over a stump that's too small for you. It's too short for you. Come on, Willa, hop in. And so, 
I would say, you know, concentrate on your ergonomics. I uh, developed a habit this last year of sitting cross-legged on my workbench in my shop. Come on, Maisie, let's go. Come on, hop in. <clears throat> and that has helped a bunch. Come on. There we go. Um, uh, but then getting down on the floor every evening and moving your body on the floor has been super helpful. <clears throat> now, now let's talk about sleep, which is probably the most important thing. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. That's really key. Uh, the advice that I've heard is to get up at the same time every day. So I get up at six every day, except on the weekends when I get up at seven because you can't follow advice all the time. And that will naturally regulate some nights. You know, I don't want uh, to go to sleep at 10 and I'll stay up until 11. Some nights I'm in bed by nine because my body is just done. But having myself get up at the same time every morning is really helpful. And probably as a 16, 17 year old, you're already doing that. So that's probably good. But it's also probably worth evaluating whether you're getting enough sleep. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an intuitive sleeper in the sense that if I feel like staying up late because I feel alert and not tired yet, great. Um, I'm trying to make sure that I get enough exercise that I naturally feel tired um, and, and want to fall asleep. So then, <clears throat> uh, while you're sleeping, I would recommend you try to cultivate the habit of sleeping with your arms out straight and you know if you are the type of person who sleeps with your arms curled up in a fetal position under your chin you got to change that because that's exacerbating your problems tremendously um, so try sleeping with your arms straight i tend to sleep on my side slash stomach and i will roll from one side to the other in the middle of the night at least once but often several times to alleviate uh, my arm whatever arm is underneath then goes on top and it feels better. You don't want to let this get worse because then sleeping has become very difficult. It becomes, uh, you know, you sort of, you're losing sleep because you, you can't really fall asleep because your hands are numb and that really sucks. If you wake up in the middle of the night and your hands are numb, I would highly recommend that you do not take an anti-inflammatory like aspirin, sorry, like uh, ibuprofen, which is terrible for your gut. Um, uh, instead, I would uh, do a bunch of stretching in a doorway, and if things are, if if circulation is not restoring to your hands, I would take um, a metal spoon, not a wooden spoon, but a metal spoon, and take the bowl of the spoon, the edge of the bowl of the spoon, and sort of scrape the palms of your hands, going from your palm out to your fingertips, off off each finger. There's a technical term for this. Maybe it's called scraping but it stimulates blood flow and it's a good way of getting blood flow back to your hands. I used to like shake and whack my hands against things and that's not nearly as effective as uh, scraping the palms of my hands. You don't want to scrape all the time though. It's not great for you in the long run. It's a good short-term solution. Training yourself to sleep with your arms straight out will be very helpful. <clears throat> Finally, let's talk about uh, cold immersion. Um, oh, and, and earthing. 
so a couple years ago I started keeping a bucket of water in my shop and a dish towel and uh, when my hands started to get that sort of hot swollen feeling I would just stick them in the bucket of water or go down to the house and run them under the tap under cold water for a while and you don't want it to be like icy cold water because that will constrict your blood vessels um, what you want is sort of cool water that will circulate that will allow your blood to continue to circulate while um, while cooling down the blood in your body and that will dramatically help reduce inflation inflammation in your hands um, so bucket of water I also made a cold plunge this last year um, I've not used it since it's gotten really cold but it has stayed full and last night I was feeling like my hands were um, I was worried about them so I went and just dunked my arms just my arms up to my armpits in the cold plunge. It was really cold. Holy cow, it was cold. Um, it was probably right right on the edge of forming ice on it. And I'm glad I didn't go in all the way, but uh, um, there are a lot of anti-inflammation benefits to cold water immersion. Probably the best way to ease yourself into it would be to simply start taking cooler showers, right? walk your shower down so that you're not taking scalding hot showers um, or maybe you start off hot and then you you know you, you walk it down to being cooler and cooler uh, and just slowly get yourself down to where you're taking like a cool shower that um, is much more like taking a swim in a sort of warm pond that will do a lot of good for for helping your body reduce inflammation um, you don't have to go as intense as as you know super cold ice bath and and certainly there is evidence that you don't get the most benefit from super duper cold water it's not like the colder the better um, uh, that said my hands felt fantastic after putting them in the ice bath uh, last night and I think I might do it again today just up to my elbows this time because I'm feeling my wrists are particularly sore this morning um, before I start work because uh, I think that will help. Come on, Maisie. Yo, let's go. Okay, so that's recovery. Oh, I will say, come on, Maisie, let's go. Come on. I will say, uh, I think it's really important that everybody um, supplement with vitamin D, everything that I've uh, heard and read and my personal experience has indicated that uh, we are all deficient in vitamin D. Um, and so it's important to supplement with it. Here's some details that I have learned that uh, I did not know beforehand. So vitamin D, there's benefit to getting sunlight on your body any time of year, but vitamin D can only be synthesized by your body when the sun is coming through the atmosphere at a steep enough angle that a particular part of the spectrum is actually penetrating the atmosphere instead of being bounced off by the acute angle that the sun is at. So what that means is that in the wintertime, whichever hemisphere you're in, in the wintertime, um, there is a window of time where your body is not going to be able to synthesize vitamin D 
no matter how much time you spend in the sun because the, the part of the spectrum that promotes vitamin D synthesis is not actually coming through the atmosphere. Um, and that there is a window of time uh, around noon that you can synthesize vitamin D for the time of year that you can. And um, I'll just give the example of where I live. It's like mid-April through mid-September is when you can synthesize vitamin D from direct sunlight. And, uh, and it is a window of time that at the extremes, at the mid-April, mid-September, is only like for, you know, well, it has to go from zero to, to one minute at some point, but it's sort of an ever-widening window based around actual solar noon, so when the sun is the highest in the sky, that uh, widens to, you know, four or five hour window uh, around the summer solstice. Um, and then and then the window starts to shrink again. So, you know, late morning to early afternoon, you want to be out getting direct sunlight on your skin, as much skin as possible for, it doesn't take long, you know, like 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. Um, so deliberately choosing to go outside during the, that window is, is important. Now it's important to get sunlight in your eyes, on your body, at other times of day and all throughout the year to help with any other number of things, but it's not going to help you with vitamin D. So you need to supplement. So supplementing, the research has changed. It used to be that they thought that you should supplement at relatively low levels and that if you uh, supplemented at really high levels uh, that it would accumulate in your body in, in an unhealthy way and they found that that is not the case anymore. Um, I use a supplement brand called Sports Research. It's a D3 and K2 uh, with 5,000 IUs of D3 and 100 MCG of K2. Um, so it used to be like 500 IUs of vitamin D is what they recommended. And now the recommendation is like 5,000, which is why that is what it is. You want to find one that is in conjunction with K2 because K2 helps you synthesize vitamin D. Um, so it's useful to take them in conjunction. Um, like many things going on in your body, it's a very complicated process, and simply taking one thing in isolation is not going to give you the effect that you're looking for. The other thing I learned about vitamin D is that you can supplement all you want. It's not going to give you, it's not going to improve your vitamin D levels the way that getting direct sunlight will. What it will do is it will buffer your body against losing the vitamin D that it has. So there's some part of the process. And again, I'm sorry for being so vague about this. I learned about this on a podcast where scientists who were studying this were saying all this stuff, but I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to try and cite all of the sources. The gist that I took away is that your body essentially uses up vitamin D over time. And if you supplement with vitamin D, it will use that supplemental vitamin D first, leaving the vitamin D in your body that you want to stay there because that supports your immune health. So the reason you want to keep vitamin D levels high or improve them is that vitamin D is integrally linked to your immune system. Without sufficient vitamin D, it's very hard for your immune system to function properly. 
Um, now, when I started supplementing with vitamin D after a year, I was like, well, maybe I should get my blood drawn and see, see where I'm at. You know, like I don't want to overdo it. And so I had my blood work done. And even after supplementing hard for a year, I was the low end of normal. So um, I feel pretty confident in saying uh, I think everyone should be supplementing with vitamin D at that level that I just described. Um, and and that that will be very good for your immune system, which in turn is also good for your recovery system. All right, let's talk about exercise, finally. When I started, when I decided I was gonna to start to train like an athlete, exercise was the first thing I went to, and it was only over time that I built in these other things, the nutrition, the recovery. Um, exercise is what I thought I needed. And I was right in some respects. Everybody needs some deliberate sort of exercise. And the more deliberately you can train for the thing that you're doing, uh, the, the, the better for your body it will be. What I came to realize is that I was not trying to train the muscles I was already using to make them bigger and stronger. What I was suffering from was an imbalance in my body. I was not strong enough in all these ways to keep my body balanced and loose. And so what was happening was that the muscles that were being overworked, they were not being... Um, the symptoms I was experiencing were symptoms of tightness and, and inflammation. And that, that tightness in particular, but I suspect also the inflammation was exacerbated by the fact that I did not have the musculature to balance out the muscles that were getting tight, right? Every muscle in your body, for the most part, is balanced by an equal, well, not an equal, but an opposite muscle that uh, pulls in the opposite direction. This is how you move your body, right? You, you move your, your bicep closes your arm, your tricep opens your arm. And if your bicep is overdeveloped compared to your tricep, then when it gets tight and swollen, your tricep doesn't have the ability to naturally sort of counteract that force and help keep it loose. This is, was particularly true with my pectoral muscles. My pectoral muscles were very strong. My back muscles, particularly the muscles between the, the scapula of my back, uh, my shoulder blades were, were not strong enough to counteract that and, and naturally keep my chest open and expansive. Now, by the time I started exercising, I had a weak core and I had too much fat on my body and, and, um, and I was struggling to exercise because many of the exercises I had done as a, as a kid, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, uh, were exacerbating the the swelling in my hands right doing a push-up or doing a pull-up is asking a lot of your hands and so the normal exercises that i knew to do were making things worse which is why i hadn't been exercising so i had to find exercises that i could do that would minimally exacerbate um, my existing problems while at the same time building up strength um, and the two that I found that were most helpful um, was rucking 
and kettlebells. So rucking, I would highly recommend, Felix and anyone else, that you buy the book The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. Um, that was my introduction to rucking. Rucking is essentially carrying a weighted pack. This is used by militaries all over the world um, to train their soldiers to carry heavy heavy packs, but um, what they found is that it it is uh, it is sort of halfway between cardio and, and strength training, and so it gives you a body that is able to do endurance stuff, but is also able to do strength stuff, and at the same time, it is it has a far lower uh, injury rate than any other type of strength training or cardio training. Um, uh, particularly if you keep the weight under 50 pounds. Now, I would not recommend starting at 50 pounds. I started with a 10-pound metal plate that I put in a backpack that I was carrying already, uh, walking my daughter to school twice a week. I was carrying this thing. That felt like quite a lot. Then, after a couple months, I bought a 20-pound plate. I carried the 20-pound plate. And after a couple months, I, bought, I combined the two and had 30 pounds in my pack. And after a couple more months, right, so I'm like eight months in, at that point I buy a 45-pound plate in a special pack that is designed to carry that amount of weight very minimally, and that's what I, just lives in, in my truck um, that I started to wear first during the... During the uh, basically, I started to wear it every time I walked the dog. Um, and, and I cycle in and out. I would say... For the last couple of months, I was wearing it sort of once a day when I walked the dog and not the other time because I wanted to, was in a phase where I wanted to let my body recover more before going into the Christmas tree season. So I was doing once a day. What I found um, is that, first of all, building up slowly over time uh, is really important, both in terms of establishing and maintaining a habit, but also in terms of uh, building up the appropriate muscles in your body. Um, but that it has massively strengthened my core. It, everything about me is much, much stronger. Um, but in particular, my back, um, particularly between my shoulder blades, and that it is, it has helped tremendously in keeping my body strong and balanced so that carving is, it has less of a toll on my body. Now, kettlebells are these sort of metal spheres with a handle at the top that you see people swinging between their legs and other things. And and what I found was that a standard kettlebell swing is really helpful uh, because you can do it. It's essentially a squat combined with sort of control of this weight while you're doing it. Um, <clears throat> that uh, because the weight is in motion, your hands can be loose and only tighten up at the end of each swing. So at the outer end and then the part where it's between your legs. So your hands are sort of loosely gripping and only have to tighten up for, you know, the two parts of it, which is much easier on your body, on your hands, if your hands are, are struggling, than lifting weights where you're having to grip the entire time. Um, and so you get the benefit of, you know, essentially a full body workout with the kettlebell swing um, uh, with as little exacerbation to your hands as, as possible. Now, over time, I've, I started with the kettlebell swing. I would recommend starting with like a 22, 24-pound kettlebell. Um, I don't know what that is in kilograms. Uh, then I 
I bought a 44 pound kettlebell to start with and I immediately threw my back out um, when I first tried to do a kettlebell swing with it because I just wasn't strong enough. Um, so I would, I would start small, you know, when you're 16, 17 anyways, you want to be doing sort of more lighter weight stuff. Um, you don't want to be pushing the super heavy weights at that age is my understanding. Um, but certainly, you know, 20, 24 and 44 pound kettlebells won't, won't bother you. Um, I would say get a 22 pounder and then buy a second 22 pounder because there's some stuff that's nice to do one with a kettlebell in each hand. Um, and then only then get the 44 pounder. I did the opposite, but, uh, that's what I would recommend when you start out. Um, and there's all sort, you know, once you once you go down the rabbit hole of kettlebell stuff on Instagram, the algorithm will show you people doing all sorts of complicated things. I would say just stick with the kettlebell swing for a while. Um, you know, I I do various overhead presses, etc. At this point, you know, I've sort of built up a number of different squats and other things that I do. Um, but the thing that you need to figure out for yourself is a pattern of exercise that you will actually stick with. It doesn't really matter what you do on any given exercise day. What matters is that you have a, a practice of treating yourself like an athlete so that you exercise, I would say, three times a week um, for, say, 20 minutes. And then I have a practice, which I don't know if I, you would need or not, or find helpful or not, of every day doing a sort of five to ten minute set of three exercises that I change every three or four months. Um, and, and for me, it's helpful to have the daily exercise because it keeps me remembering that I need to exercise. Uh, it helps me to write all this stuff down on my to-do list. So if you don't have a to-do list, I highly recommend you just get a bunch of paper on a clipboard and write down your intentions for each day and you can say you know okay monday is going to be uh you know however you want to do it i'm going to do i'm going to monday is going to be an exercise day wednesday is an exercise day friday is an exercise day um you know these are the exercises i'm going to do these days and just keep it you know remember to start off easy on yourself and but to but to but to concentrate first and foremost on building up the strength that will start to balance out the imbalances in your body. And I would say concentrating on your core is helpful. Concentrating on your legs is helpful. Um, concentrating on your back is helpful. Those are all the things that get neglected when you carve spoons, which tends to be much more just about your hands and your arms and your chest. Um, And let me think if there's anything else that I want to add to this. Well, just like, <clears throat> remember, keep your expectations sane. You said you've been carving Felix for four and a half years. I probably spent four and a half years carving maybe once. I think by four and a half years in, I had a habit of carving every day, but I was carving one thing every day. So, you know, an hour, two hours a day carving. And from that point to where I am now, where sometimes I'll spend day after day, six, seven hours a day carving, 
took me years to build up to that in a sustainable sort of way. Um, so when you see somebody who is uh, a professional operating at, at a, a higher level than yourself and, and you think, oh, well, I, you know, like they can do it, I can do it. Maybe, but maybe it's also that they spent a bunch of years building up the, the muscles that allow them to do it. I think it really depends. You know, some spoon carvers, it, it, they don't have problems. Some people do. It, you know, you can't always tell by looking at somebody. Some of the most jack spoon carvers have problems that, you know, stem from some other thing in their life. Some of the jack spoon carvers have no problems. Uh, some of the skinny people have problems. Some of the skinny people have no problems. So it, it totally depends. But um, I know in my own case, I have n no amount of uh, no amount of recovery or diet w makes up for just taking the taking the long slow approach of slowly ramping up the amount that you're carving and trying to do that in a deliberate way where you're sort of you know okay I want my carving practice sort of be something that I do more and more all right well let me just. Uh, make sure that I'm doing it every day and make sure that I'm sort of slowly ramping up the amount that I'm doing. And if you can't carve more every day, I would say, you know, if the if the equation is either I carve more or I train more, I would always say train more. That will serve you much better than carving more in terms of preparing your body for carving in a pain-free sort of way. Don't skimp on the training in order to carve more. Um, and... That's it. I hope people find this helpful. For me, this is always an ongoing thing. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a professional trainer. This is just what I've learned over my own journey for the last bunch of years of how to deal with uh, overused hands and what I have found helpful. It's your nutrition, it's your recovery, and then it's it's training in a smart way. But, but honestly, the training is very... Uh, training is the, uh, the smallest part of it. Good luck, and let me know how it goes.